The following podcast contains audio extracted from videos on the Mythology Explained YouTube channel. Please note that there are two narrators for this podcast, myself, Silas, and Zach. Please enjoy. Hey everyone, welcome to Mythology Explained. In today's video, we're going to dive into some Egyptian mythology, specifically the twin serpents of creation and destruction, Atum and Apophis, one to create the world, raising it out of the waters of chaos, the other to destroy it, returning it to the waters of chaos. To begin with, we're going to discuss the state of existence before creation, then we're going to look at the creation of the world, and finally we're going to look at the end of the universe and at the cyclical view of eternity held by ancient Egyptians. Let's get into it. Looked at linearly, the timeline of ancient Egyptian mythology can be segmented into seven stages the oneness of pure chaos, the self-engenderment of the creator, the creation of the world and its denizens, gods, humans, animals, the rule of Ra, the sun god, the rule of other deities, the time of mortal Egyptian kings, and lastly, the inevitable return to chaos. In the beginning there was only chaos, and for the ancient Egyptians, chaos wasn't conceptualized as a great void, but by the primordial waters of noon which were dark, boundless, and infinite. In them was contained limitless potential, for the latent power of creation existed in them, yet alone nothing could come of them, for they were perfectly homogeneous. In this uniform state, the elements of creation were unseparated, making them inert. It wasn't until opposites came to be, existing as a series of binaries, life and death, light and dark, male and female, and so on, that creation became possible, as is said in this passage from Egyptian mythology, a guide to the gods, goddesses, and traditions of ancient Egypt. The origin of the universe was an intellectual problem that came to fascinate the Egyptians. Texts that allude to the unknowable era before creation define it as the time before two things had developed. The cosmos was not yet divided into pairs of opposites. What comes next is more than a bit confusing, at least to me it is, for unlike Norse and Greek mythology, or any of the three Abrahamic religions, Egyptian mythology doesn't have one predominant creation myth. What we know as Egyptian mythology happened over thousands of years, a very large geographic area. So as you can imagine, different places at different times favoured different gods, often adjusting myths, the creation myth in particular, to revolve around these different gods. To keep this video on track, avoiding a vortex of creation myths and syncretic gods, we're going to keep things simple, narrowing the scope of our discussion to the Ennead of Heliopolis, a group of nine gods, the first of which is a tomb, a self-engendered creator deity who came into being at the beginning of time. He was called the one who made himself into millions, because everything was of him as he independently produced the first gods, personifications of the world from whom everything else stemmed, other material manifestations, forces, gods, people, and creatures. Before separating the constituent elements of the waters of noon into pairs of opposites, allowing these binaries to be harnessed, a tomb was thought of as a great serpent swimming the endless waters of chaos. His first act was to create the primordial mound, itself an extension of a tomb which allowed creation to begin. This is described in The Complete Gods and Goddesses of Ancient Egypt. Here's the passage. 
A tomb was not only viewed as the creator, but also the original creation itself. He was thus the primeval mound which rose from the waters of creation and was represented in this aspect by the sacred Ben-Ben stone, which was worshipped at Heliopolis from the earliest dynasties and which may have originally been a meteorite or some other sacred stone. Though the primeval mound itself was an aspect of a tomb, the creation of this mound allowed a tomb in his creator form to rise up from the waters of noon, at which point he manifested another aspect of himself in Ra, the creator's solar form, creating a tomb Ra. Initially, a tomb embodied both halves of the male-female dichotomy, but after independently creating his two children, Shu and Tefnut, the second and third gods to exist, he shared his androgyny and crystallized into an exclusively male deity. Shu was the god of air, and Tefnut was the goddess of moisture. From their union came the fourth and fifth gods of the Ennead, a son, Geb, the personification of the earth, and a daughter, Nut, the personification of the sky. Like Gaia and Uranus were in Greek mythology, Geb and Nut were conjoined and needed to be separated so that life could exist between them. Their father, Shu, split them apart, and the image of him pressing Nut above his head, Geb underfoot, was one of the most commonly depicted scenes by ancient Egyptians. The separation of Geb and Nut, earth and sky, allowed the sun to rise for the first time, which is why Shu himself is sometimes regarded as a creator deity. The final four deities of the Ennead were produced by Geb and Nut. They were Osiris, Set, Isis, and Nephthys. Being boundless and infinite, the waters of Noon, which were thought to be the ultimate source of the Nile, continued to exist after the world was created, enveloping the earth as we know the void of space to envelop earth, or as the crushing depths of the ocean would envelop a stone suspended in an air bubble deep underwater. The cyclical conceptualization of death and rebirth, especially as it applied to the creation and destruction of the world, was very much predicated on and influenced by the ebb and flow of the Nile River. The Nile's waters receding, exposing its fertile banks, parallels the beginning of creation when the primeval mound emerges, and the flooding of the Nile, reclaiming the surrounding land with its flow, parallels the end of the world when everything returns back to the primordial waters of noon, the chaotic state of oneness that existed before creation. In a tomb's creator form, especially when thought of in the primordial waters of noon before the advent of creation, he was conceived as of a great serpent, an animal that symbolizes completeness through the undividedness of its body, as well as renewal through the process of shedding and regenerating its skin. When thought of in serpent form, a tomb incarnates the positive, creative power of chaos, and as there is a positive creative, so must there be a negative destructive. Which begs the question, what is the antithetical entity making up the other half of this duality that incarnates the countervailing power of destructive chaos? Well, here's another passage from Egyptian mythology, a guide to the god, goddesses, and the traditions of ancient Egypt to explain. When creator gods such as a tomb or a moon are spoken of as serpents, they usually represent the positive aspect of chaos as an energy force but they had a negative counterpart in the great serpent Apophis. Apophis represented the destructive aspect of chaos that constantly tried to overwhelm all individual beings 
and reduce everything back to its primeval state of oneness. With epithets like Evil One and The Great Rebel, it's unsurprising that Apophis, a colossal cosmic snake, is the most powerful monster in Egyptian mythology. After all, he's a serpentine manifestation of the destructive power of chaos, and unlike Typhon, the most powerful monster in Greek mythology, whose dastardly desire was to rule the cosmos, Apophis's own ambition wasn't so provincial, as he wanted to unravel the very fabric of reality, like a high tide coming in that washes over a sandcastle and consigns it to oblivion. His existence was an unending threat to the divine order and the continuation of creation. He lurked in the Duat, the underworld, where every night when Ra sailed through, he sent his strangling coils against the sun god. Though, to the great relief of all sentient creatures that wished to go on living, Ra, with the help of the other gods who accompanied him on his boat, was always victorious. Atumra, a syncretic synthesis of Atum, the ultimate creator, and Ra, the personification of the sun, was the supreme life-sustaining force. Because of this, the nightly battle between Ra and Apophis was really a clash between the two opposing forces of chaos, and since Ra was one, creation continued. However, if the opposite were to have happened, if Apophis won, then the sun wouldn't rise the next morning, the world would stay dark, and life would end. It was said that, like a tomb, Apophis existed in the waters of noon before the inexorable flow of time, before the primeval mound rose up, meaning the dichotomy of absolute creation and absolute destruction, the two entities that, respectively, embodied those forces, one to make the world, the other to unmake it, existed before creation, each of them in the form of a cosmic serpent. According to the story of the shipwrecked sailor, a Middle Kingdom story, Nearly every serpent deity perishes by fire. Of them, none survives save the Great Serpent, one of the forms of the Creator, and the Eye Goddess, also called Mart, the Creator's daughter. The sailor is warned that when the Great Serpent departs, the sea will consume the Island of Spirits, an image that conjures to mind the primeval mound slipping back into the waters of noon. This sentiment is echoed in Coffin Texts Spell 1130 in which the creator recounts the gifts he bestowed on humanity, then going on to explain that after ages and ages, after millions of years have come and gone like the rising and setting of the sun, he and Osiris, the lord of the underworld, will become one. With this union, these two gods coalesced into one, the barrier separating life and death will cease to be, bringing about a cataclysm, possibly because Apophis would no longer be confined to the underworld, among other reasons. And continuing in this vein, in Spell 175 from the Book of the Dead, a tomb states that, after millions of years have passed, he will put an end to everything he built, returning creation itself back to the watery abyss, to the deep dark of the fathomless and ineffable. Though the world, creation itself even, is doomed to destruction, a grim fate prophesied by the creator, made incontrovertible and inevitable by his utterance, this will not be a final end but rather the most recent end before the next beginning, for the ancient Egyptian view of time was cyclical. As the world was destined to end, so was it destined to begin anew, an eternal process of birth and death on cosmic scale, unconstrained by space or time, Apophis and a tomb continuing to navigate the primeval waters of noon before and after each cycle of creation and destruction. 
As a final thought, I'd like to say a quick word on the Ouroboros, which is a snake with a tail in its mouth in the shape of a circle. It symbolizes eternity, how the universe is constantly changing, signifying that every end is just a moment before the next beginning. And that's it for this video. If you enjoy the content, please like the video and subscribe to the channel.